All right. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. I have to flip my notes over. I had them face down so that no one would peek as they're walking by. Or the band members like to like get a little peek on the talk before. So, sex. I read a book recently that said I should start every talk with something that caught people's attention. So, <laughs> did it work? It seemed like I got, got some pretty good looks there, all right? So, the t- <laughs> that's it. The title of my message tonight is WWJD. It's what, would Je- what wouldn't Jesus do? What wouldn't Jesus do? I'm speaking tonight on principles that we can learn from Jesus on how to deal with temptation. So what wouldn't Jesus do in dealing with temptation? Now, usually when people talk about temptation, they are talking about uh, sexual temptation. That seems to be recurringly uh, what the specific topic is. And I don't think I need to explain why. It's obviously a very prevalent thing in most people's life. Um, But I do want to just bring this up is that there are a lot of other areas of temptation in life that are beyond this. So I will be talking about a few specific examples that are geared towards sexual temptation, but I want to be clear that all of the main points of this talk, they, they apply to any area of temptation that you uh, may be struggling with currently or sometime in the future. So I want to uh, kick off tonight with a word of prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, I ask that you would please speak through me, God. I know that uh, you want us to live lives that are full of joy. And I know that living your way is the way to live the most joy-filled life. I ask that you'd please uh, help all of us in this room to learn how to live more joy-filled lives through uh, following your word and really fighting temptation um, through your power. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my very first uh, point is that Jesus wouldn't neglect love. In in dealing with temptation in life, Jesus wouldn't neglect love. All commands fall under loving God and loving others. We must always recognize that uh, when we're dealing with temptation, what we're really dealing with at the root is the temptation to not love God. The very root of all temptation, that is I would say the key element there. Let's listen to this dialogue um, of Jesus uh, and another person. The person said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When we give in to temptation, we are not loving God. That's the truth. When we give in to temptation, we're not loving God. Uh, this is where most people, a lot of people get mixed up because if your view of Christianity is that it's just this set of rules, it's a, it's a religious system to follow, then this isn't going to make a lot of sense to you, honestly. If you're here tonight and you think of Christianity as just this religious set of rules to follow and that's the full extent of it, this whole idea, it's not going to click. Uh, The Bible is not about a religious system of rules. It's about the magnificent love of our creator. That's what what Christianity is about. It's about the ridiculous, amazing, magnificent love of our creator. It is so important that we start here because if you leave tonight 
thinking that you need to live a better life in order for God to love you more than I've done you a great disservice and I've misrepresented God to you because that is not who he is and that's not how he relates to us. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My personal paraphrase of this goes something like this. God loves you so much that even though he knew the very worst things you would ever think, the worst desires you would ever have, the worst things you would ever do, he sent his own son Jesus to die that you might have eternal life with him. That is the ultimate example of love and that is foundational for you to understand who God is and how he personally relates to you. Romans 5.8, CPP. What you believe about God matters. It is significant for your life. It will affect the way that you live life. It's Cody's personal paraphrase. I knew I caught some people asking. Yeah, CPP, Cody's personal paraphrase there. Uh, I was going to let that hang for a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, If you believe that he is the originator of a religious system and intended to dictate how you live, you won't be motivated by his love to fight the temptation in your life. And you aren't going to get a lot of help there either. But if you see God for who he truly is, you will be obsessed with living your life in a way that is more honoring to him in response to the love that you experience from him personally in your life. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, fighting temptation, following God is founded upon loving God and having experienced his love first. So Francis Chan is one of my favorite preachers. And just saying that's kind of weird. I never in my life thought I would have a favorite preacher. Uh, But he is. He's fantastic. What he communicates is so clear. So I have a clip of him, and he's actually speaking about this verse. So let's go ahead and watch that. you try to worship, 
you don't feel good at church either because your sin is still with you. You know you really haven't turned from it. And so it's like when you're in your sin, you feel guilty because the Holy Spirit's with you. And then when you're at church, you're trying to worship God, you feel guilty because your sin is with you. Because you've become a slave to righteousness. Try to illustrate it you this way. I brought a couple of my favorite drinks. This is a lemonade. You guys have lemonade? I'm really glad you guys all responded the same way I did to that. Like, that was actually really gross, but 
I'm thankful he did it, not me. Notice I didn't mimic that up here. It was purposeful. I just let Francis Chan suffer through that experience. Uh, this has to be our foundation. Understanding who God is and how uh, he in love wants me to walk through life, to experience life to the fullest, uh, is so foundational. He's not power tripping because God doesn't need to power trip, right? He has all power. That doesn't make any sense. He's not trying to boss you around. He is the boss. Now, uh, I want to clarify one thing real quick is that if you're in the room tonight and you aren't a Christian, this still really pertains to you because everybody has things in their life that they don't want there. But the thing is that, that what Francis Chan was just talking about, that intimacy, that closeness with God, like that is something that you're not going to experience until you really do have a relationship with him. So that's something, I wanted to share that um, towards the beginning here with you because if that's something that you're missing still in your life, then there are parts of tonight that aren't going to pertain directly to you like, like what he was sharing and, and a few other things. So I really encourage you to seriously consider that um, for your next step in life because I'll tell you what, uh, my experience of facing temptation in life is I did not make it very far on my own. I tried for a long time to get things out of my life before I started uh, my relationship with Jesus. And it was, it was a very fruitless effort. I had like, sometimes it a little bit better and I just do bad and a little bit better and bad. And it wasn't until I had a relationship with God and he was helping me that I really uh, made a lot more progress because he wants to help. That, that, that's how that works. So within this, there's a sneaky lie that contradicts who God is um, that I've definitely bought into before. And it really undermines this whole first point. And it says, have you ever had the thought, it doesn't seem fair that God would put me in a situation like this where I would face so much temptation. It doesn't seem fair that he'd, he would put me here. Like I'm facing this huge temptation. It's so difficult. Why would he put me through this? And you know what? When I think about it, it's really God's fault because he made me this way. Right? He, he made me knowing I would struggle with these temptations. Why would he do that to me? Why would he make me go through this? Well, let's see what God's word says about these ideas. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So the truth is that when you are tempted, it is your fault. It's just something you've got to embrace is that when you're tempted, it's your own fault. It comes from your own desires. Next point, Jesus wouldn't merely rely on willpower. Now, there's a famous story in the Bible where the devil himself tempts Jesus. So I'm going to read that to you because it's a really, if we're looking at what Jesus wouldn't do when we're facing, when facing temptation, this is a, just a great story of what he actually, what happened when he was tempted. So it goes like this. The devil said to him, Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell the stone, this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus was the only person who ever lived who could have faced temptation purely on his own power and have never sinned, but he didn't. That's just fascinating to me. He could have, but he didn't. Three times the devil tempted him and three times Jesus quoted the Bible to, as a counter to what, Jesus, or what the devil was tempting Jesus to do. So why is it so important to know scripture that confronts temptations we face? Because temptations are founded upon partial and twisted truths. That's why it's so important to know the truth, to counteract them. They're founded upon partial and twisted truths. So we need the actual truth in our mind already to straighten them out so we can call out the lies and the twists on, on the truth that the devil puts in our mind. I want to cover a couple few examples here. And these are actually examples I found uh, looking at some research studies online about the most common temptations that Americans face. And these were not, this wasn't actually like religiously based. It was just common temptations that uh, Americans face. So sexual temptations, like no surprise that that's on there, right? God created sex to be a good thing experienced in the context of marriage. It's only actually bad when we, we pervert it and, and abuse it and use it outside of God's desired intention. Anxiety and worry is, is the next thing on this list. Now, we are incapable people. That's true. Like the reasons why we have uh, anxiety and worry comes from a, uh, a lack of ability within ourselves typically uh, or a lack of control of things. And those are actually founded upon realities. The problem is that we're supposed to depend on God in response to those. But instead, we lean into anxiety and worry. Procrastination and laziness. It was God's idea to take a day of rest every week. That was his idea. But we try to take every moment we can to rest. Eating too much. I used to not understand this, that gluttony is listed in the Bible as a sin, eating too much. I think I understand it better now because I've seen how it works in my life. And I have, when I habitually overindulge, I can't contain that to just eating. It's a point of character in my life and it leads me to overindulge and not have self-control in other areas of my life. Obviously, on this one, like obviously eating is good. Our bodies need sustenance, but you can see how it's, it's this twist on truth. It's this twist on reality. Overuse of electronics and social media. I don't know, this is a whole other topic to talk about, but obviously this is true, right? They're not inherently bad, but we overuse them and abuse them and waste time and consume unhealthy material through them. And then I left a blank here. I did that just because I want you to think about what it is that you struggle with. What is it that God doesn't want in your life that currently is in your life? You don't have to fill in this blank right now, but if something's already come to your mind, I'd really encourage you to jot it down. It's interesting when, in that passage I just read that the third time that the devil tempted Jesus, he did so with scripture. The devil tempted, he quoted the Bible at Jesus. That's so twisted and messed up, right? So how did, how in the world did, did Jesus, you know, counter that? Did he use this crazy logic, like this huge argument he had prepared? 
he quoted a simple verse that straightened out the perverted truth. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if you have a temptation in your life that you've been repetitively struggling with and you don't currently confront it with scripture, I really want to challenge you. Don't go to bed tonight before writing down a verse on that topic that you're going to memorize and start memorizing it. I really mean this. I'd encourage you tonight, like don't go to bed tonight until you have written down a verse that you are going to memorize. This was Jesus's idea, all right? It's gotta be good. It was Jesus' idea to have scripture in mind to fight temptation. So it's got to be useful. And I've experienced this over and over in my own life. This is the number one thing Number one practical thing in my life that has helped me overcome temptation. Next point, Jesus wouldn't fill his mind with garbage. All right? Jesus wouldn't fill his mind with garbage. Honestly, we don't even have to try to see trash. That's just the reality of where we live. We really have to be careful to avoid it. That's, that's obviously prevalent. We can't open up Instagram or Facebook, or like drive down the freeway without having images just like thrown in front of our face. Every day you face a constant barrage of garbage. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, just own that reality and do something about it. Like don't play the victim. We are aware of where we live and how much input we have, like how much we're just fed information that is not helpful. Like, you know that, I know that. We all are aware of this. Realize it and don't play the victim as that you don't have any control over it. Picture this, picture this conversation, okay? Oh, shoot. I didn't realize this Game of Thrones episode would have a sex scene in it. <laughs> if only they wouldn't put this in here, I wouldn't have all these struggles, these images implanted on my mind. Like, wake up. You're not the victim, you're the perpetrator. You went there, okay? It's no one else's fault. This next passage is Jesus speaking to people who were hyper-focused on these specific eating rules. I just wanted to clarify because it doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't know this. They're hyper-focused on these eating rules that they had in those times, but were completely overlooking the real heart issues where they were sinning. They were more focused on following God in public areas than in private areas of their life. Does that sound eerily familiar to anybody? I know, it, I know it does to me. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Sometimes I'll be looking at a rating of a movie or TV show, and I think, oh, wow, like, it's only have, it's supposed to have like a little bit of trashy content. That's much better than most of the options out there. And I've actually had this happen before. I had that thought. And then a quote from one of my best friends from childhood, uh, his mom would say, she, she would ask this. 
would you eat a little bit of poop? It's brilliant. <laughs> that has held me through life so much, honestly. I can picture this. Hey, Paul, you want to go see this movie? It's only supposed to have like a little bit of trashy content in it. Another conversation. Hey, Paul, you want a slice of this pizza? It's only got a little bit of poop on it. <laughs> That's nasty. <laughs> That's, he's like uncomfortably laughing. That's gross. That's really gross. Say no in both scenarios. That's the point. It's gross in both scenarios. We don't see sin for how sin actually is. We buy the image of what we want, that how it's portrayed to us. We don't see it accurately. It is in fact disgusting. That's the deceitfulness of sin. We don't realize it's actually disgusting. It's appealing. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be tempted to do it. We're tricked into getting the devil's hook in our mouth because the bait looks tasty or sexy, or it'll lead to success. There's always a hook behind the sin. Always. Doesn't matter how appealing it looks, there's always a hook behind the sin. And that leads me to this last point, which is Jesus wouldn't take sin lightly. Matthew 18, 8 through 9 says, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Obviously, Jesus is not encouraging self harm, okay? It's exaggeration. But why do people use exaggeration as a literary point? Is it to de-emphasize what they're saying or is it to emphasize? It's to emphasize. He's driving his point home with these extreme, exaggerated statements. I want to focus on what kind of action Jesus suggests we take. It's really interesting. The type of action Jesus is suggesting that we take in these verses is preemptive. He says, evaluate what is leading you into sin and cut off the temptation. Waiting until you are face-to-face -face with a huge temptation is a terrible idea. Now, I understand there are times in life when that happens, right? I'm, a, I'm aware of this. I've experienced this. It seems like out of nowhere. All of a sudden, I have this huge temptation in front of my face, and it feels like so heavy, and I can't, I can't overcome it. Now, when that does happen, you need to have 1 Corinthians 10, 13 memorized. This is crucial. If you're not sure a verse to memorize, go home tonight and memorize this one. It says this, but remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. Then God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give into it. That phrase has kept me from giving into temptations like more times than I can count. He will show you a way out. It's not dependent on my ability or faithfulness. It is entirely dependent on God's faithfulness to do what he says right here in this verse. But there is a better way to deal with temptation when you're able than repetitively finding yourself in the thick of it. It's not a good way to live life. 
Don't let yourself get there in the first place. And I know from experience, Christmas break is fraught with temptation. This, is, um, this was what I experienced all through college. Christmas break was fraught with temptation for me. Having tons of free time, being back home, hanging out with old friends, even just seems like being in the same environment that I had been in when I didn't take a lot of temptation seriously, it seemed to just lead me right back into the old way of doing life that I used to be in. The old habits and patterns of behavior just seemed to come back the like, second day I was home. A distinct temptation during Christmas break for me was laziness. And it, it always didn't seem like that big of a deal. But, but what I've learned is that laziness is a gateway temptation. Because if the devil can keep you from doing what you know you should be doing, you're already on the road to doing what you shouldn't be doing. So what if this Christmas break, instead of backsliding, you grew? Did you know that's possible? You could come back to school next semester with a more joy-filled life, more self-control, experiencing more significant life, closer to God, more disciplined, more focused. Like, do you want that? I do. I want to come back to school next semester, closer to God, with healthy relationships with people, more self-control, experiencing more joy in life. I don't know anyone who doesn't want that. But guess what? No one's going to make you do it. You're going to be home a month, like over a month. No one's going to be there holding your hand saying, hey, you should, read, you should probably read the Bible today. That's, that's what's going to help you lead a, like a happier, more joy-filled life. Maybe you do have someone, maybe you do have something like that in your household. That's a huge blessing. Um, but I know most people, that is not the reality. So no one's going to make you do it. A real idea I have for you, set a reminder on your phone every morning. Set a reminder on your phone every morning, I'm going to live this day for God. You can tell your phone to tell you that every morning as a reminder. If you think that would help you, I really would suggest you do that as a reminder every morning because that day, it's your choice how you're going to spend it. It's your choice how you're going to invest it because our time is really our most precious commodity. Once you spend a day, there's no return policy. There's no exchanging how you spent it. You spent it and that's it. Today is spent however you use your time. Some other practical ideas I have. Uh, one of them, I wrote down there at the bottom of your handout. It says, if blank causes me to sin, don't put myself in that situation. That's a blank for you to fill in, not, not for me. So I want you to really think about that. Not right now, but take this home and think about it maybe this evening. Is what is it? What is it that's leading you into sin? How can you apply what the Bible said there, what Jesus said about dealing with sin preemptively? If you find yourself facing the same temptation uh, Facing temptation every night, you lay in bed looking at your phone, you face temptation, don't bring your phone to bed, right? Put it across the room. Put your charger across the room or in the living room. Don't even bring it into your bedroom. That's your choice. You're the one walking into that. No one makes you have your phone in bed with you. It's entirely up to you. Do you find yourself facing temptation? with your boyfriend or girlfriend every time you are sitting in the car together just to talk? Don't put yourself in that situation. That's up to you. It's your decision. That's what I'm trying to, I'm really trying to plead with you to understand. No one's going to make you do these things. It's up to you to make these decisions. And like I said at the very beginning is, if you really want this to be real in your life, 
You've got to recognize that it's coming because you love God. And he doesn't tell you that these ways of doing life are the best way of doing life because he like enjoys like manipulating you. He sees the results of these decisions and he's saying, please, please, please do life this way. Because I know what you want to experience and going this way is not going to get you there. You've got to go this way if you actually want that significance in life, if you actually want joy in life, if you really want healthy relationships, these are the steps you need to take to get to that finish line. So I really want to challenge you this Christmas break to take these things seriously and to develop some goals. Really make some goals this Christmas break. Um, Like I said, laziness is always something that's difficult. So don't just try to not do bad things. Do good things. Choose how you're going to invest your time this Christmas break. Like Paul said earlier, we're going to do a winter reading challenge. There's no reason not to do that. I haven't read this book yet. I'm excited to read it over. I'm going to be doing this over Christmas break. So there's no reason not to do that. Do the Christmas reading challenge. Have somebody who you can talk to for 10 minutes on Sunday evenings, and you're going to talk about how you're doing with your your Christmas break goals. Well, just decide before you leave school this semester. You know what? Like, find a buddy and say, hey, let's, let's chat just 10 minutes every Sunday night, Monday morning, whatever works for your schedule, and just talk to each other. That will motivate you to actually do stuff when you're back home. I really hope and pray that every single one of us in this room will return to school next semester with more love for God and more joy in our hearts and healthy relationships because these things make a huge difference. These are the things five, 10 years from now, you'll be so thankful that you've made investments into these areas of your life. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your care for us, God. I thank you so much for, for your love and that, Uh, You didn't just leave us here to live life on our own. Uh, You really want to come in and help us live life to the fullest. That's fantastic. That's amazing that you care for each one of us individually. I know you know every single struggle that every single person in this room is facing and will face. I ask that you'd please help us to come to you for help and that you would really show up like I know you will, God that we'll experience a closer relationship with you through receiving your help in dealing with temptation in our life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.